If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be viscerally horrifying, and here's why. In this episode, we find some answers to what's great about the world of body horror, and how can we make a fast and satisfying adventure within that disgusting world, and what monster would be a great villain to horrify players in this adventure. Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Jordan. And I'm his brother, Travis. So yes, this one's about body horror. And if that yucks your beans, stop listening. <laughs> it's fine. Upsetting. It's upsetting. It's just, it's gross and it's not okay. It gets you on a deep level, a much deeper level than, you know, a slasher film might get you. If you want to continue listening, dip your toes in very gingerly. <laughs> and if you don't, that's great. I've got a podcast recommendation that you can listen to instead of this episode. It's called Wonderful. It's where a couple talks about wonderful things that they like, and it'll make you feel happy instead of grossed out. <laughs> Straightforward. <laughs> I wonder what they're doing for a Halloween episode. <laughs> it's not going to be as nasty as this one is. Okay, so if that's not your jam, turn off the podcast. Okay, you're still here. Excellent. <laughs> All right, so let's get into some horror. Let's get into some gross shit. We've got uh, transformations and tumors and hairs and eyeballs and all kinds of disgusting stuff coming up. Oh, and we truly find horror games fun to run, especially at this time of year. You know, it's very tempting to turn to that scary stuff for some inspiration for your next session. And if you're anything like us, Halloween creeped up way too quick and we were like, Hey, so it's almost Halloween and I didn't have anything prepped for the podcast to talk about Halloween stuff. So we actually jumped straight into our Discord and be like, okay, folks, we have a Halloween episode to put out that we completely forgot about. <laughs> uh, help us. And we ended up brainstorming some pretty cool stuff. But if you're anything like us in this endeavor, then you've probably found yourself without anything to run around Halloween and so we also made up a, a short adventure. Yeah. You're going to get how to create your own Halloween adventure. You're going to get our adventure. And you're going to get a cool monster that we built with the community from our Discord. So going back to the challenges of running horror, especially, especially body horror. Like horror in general is tough. And if you want kind of more extrapolation on this, we did a whole three-part series called The Bones of Horror, so you can go back and look at some of those episodes. But in essence, horror is tough to run because you have to hit specific beats. Otherwise, it just doesn't quite pay off. It's not just, here's some scary stuff. You really got to set all the dominoes up just so you can knock them down all at once. You have to build tension in the right order for it to really have that effect you want it to at the table. And then if you get specifically into body horror, I find it really easy to 
go too far and seriously gross people out. Like you can ruin someone's night with the <laughs> wrong description. Yeah. But I mean, where to draw the line? Because that's kind of what you're going for with body horror is to gross people out. So it's a very fine and delicate balance that you're trying to hit. I feel like there are different people that feel this kind of horror deeper than others. Yeah. And I discover that every time I watch a movie where something is crawling underneath someone's skin. Or realistically, even when I see somebody hurt on a movie, there's a part of me that kind of tenses up and goes, oh, and you kind of feel that yourself. Especially if they're kicked in the knee nose. <laughs> Don't. Oh, oh, just that makes you know, brings me to that place where everything kind of curdles up inside me. When you watch those movies that are specifically trying to get the most heightened version of that out of you, it can be a lot. Yeah, no doubt. So in this episode, we hope to try and do most of the heavy lifting for you. We're going to talk a little bit about body horror. We're going to deliver that adventure and a monster. So let's get to it in the strategy stateroom. This is the Strategy Stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. So before we get to the actual adventure that we're going to talk about, we want to go over how to run a respectful game first, because that's super important always, but especially when you're running horror that can disturb some people greatly and deeply. This can really apply to a lot of different types of games. I mean, particularly, you're generally doing this in the session zero. You're establishing what kind of themes you want to cover within a story. But often, you don't necessarily recognize what you might be running, especially when you're slotting in a horror game into your regular story. And yeah. now all of a sudden, players didn't sign up for this. Oh my god, we're talking about larvae hatching from inside my guts. With, uh, all, with my faces on them. <laughs> it's too much. I can't take it. And then we're going to go over what separates body horror from other horror, because I think it's pretty fascinating. Using the right themes, you can tell a really interesting story. And then we're going to wrap it all up with crafting that adventure. So let's get into some of your tips for running that respectful game. I think you definitely towed the line on being the more sensitive and respectful DM. Often... <laughs> I just skip past this kind of stuff, and I usually pay for it. With disgruntled players? Just with that post-game, oh, I could have handled that better. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a shitty feeling. I saw one person in the group really reeling from my last description. Well, okay. So body horror is kind of special because it's that physiological nature to it. It really disturbs you on a deep level. So since it's such a sensitive thing to disturb people to their core, there's some great tools that, you know, yes, I'm a little more sensitive in the way I run my games, but there's people that have made really useful tools for purposes just like this. Yeah. And we'll post a link in our show notes to a great document that covers a lot of systems created for this, but a couple from that that work really well for body horror, I'll just go over real quick. Sure. The first one's called Lines and Veils, and these are discussed at the start of a game. As the DM, you can kind of ask each player for their input for if there's any lines, which is content that you don't want to come up in the game at all, or veils, which you're okay with being in the game. But if, you know, if larvae coming out of my stomach is part of the story, the, can we just kind of say that happens and not have you describe it in nasty detail? 
And then veils are content that you're okay with being in the game, but maybe they just happen off camera. Okay, so going back to our larvae example, that's kind of the difference between, say, a larvae hatching from one of the players and it physically happening to you in the game versus having read a document or some, uh, you know, strange tome about this happening to other people outside of your game that you're currently playing in. It's like evidence of that having happened. That can definitely be one way to use it. Another way I think about it is like, okay, so we're going to talk about larvae exploding out of somebody. This NPC had larvae come out of them over there versus you are having a violent reaction to larvae individually coming out of you all juicy and like just avoiding the description there because it's making somebody uncomfortable. Gotcha. And that makes it a lot easier to navigate where you're going to go as the DM. Makes me more comfortable. Yeah. And the second tool I think is really powerful are X, N, and O cards, which the basic premise is you've got a few cards on the table in front of every player, and you can either just have players tap them or hold them up when appropriate. Okay. And what these cards do, the X means I'm uncomfortable. Let's skip this content that we're getting into right now. N means I'm getting pretty close to that X. Let's pull back a bit. Let's start moving in a different direction. And then O means I'm enjoying this content. And what I think is really interesting about this system is that immersion doesn't have to be broken when you're tapping or using these cards. If you're the DM and you're describing some nasty shit and I'm a player and I'm responding in character, being horrified, I can just quickly tap that O card saying like, yep, this is cool. I'm into it, even though I'm playing a really disturbed person right now. That's a really good point. It's difficult to discern whether or not you're having a good time or you're playing having a good time and you're really not. Yeah, and as a DM, you don't want to be sitting there guessing at how truly disturbed people are. Well, you're right. And as a DM, you're trying to read all of these cues and a good DM is trying to facilitate a good time for everybody. Like, that's what they're there doing. And it's really difficult to read everyone's faces in the room and then read the subtle undertones of everyone's faces in the room and then the monster stat block and then making sure that you have the order right. Like there's a million things going on. And I love the idea of just a literal, I'm pointing at this card, which is exactly you can take at face value. Yeah. Don't keep going. (laughs) Do keep going. Yeah. I love it. And there's a lot more tools in that document if you want to check out things of that nature. Cool. So next, we need to get into body horror and how it differs from just run-of-the-mill regular horror. Yes. So body horror is different because it's about our relationships with our bodies. I really like this description from Ronald Allen Lopez Cruz, which is the manipulation and warping of the normal state of bodily form and function. That's very uh, dictionary heavy, what's going on there. It's just, it helps me imagine that like anything that's unnatural that happens to your body is body horror. Like if my elbows both go backwards right now. No, (laughs) don't. That's not the way it should work. That's body horror. (laughs) And it covers so much ground from the larvae to, you know, my head swelled up three times too big with veins all over it. I think what I like about this too is that it can be real gory and often is, but it can often be more conceptual. It can be very disturbing in a way that's not just gore. Well, like you said, 
your elbows going backwards, that's an uncomfortability that doesn't involve blood and gore. It's just upsetting because you know that it's unnatural. Yeah, very simply, when the body don't work the way it should. (laughs) It's also not the immediate result of violence. If I were to shank you right now, that's horror. Sure, it is. Absolutely. (laughs) Please don't. But it's not body horror because it's just, it's happening. It's violence happening. Body horror would be more like if the wound that I gave you grew spores that changed your body into a weird mushroom man hybrid. Uh, Also deeply upsetting. (laughs) If you're playing D&D and you're describing slashes and hacks, and I mean, often we get into some pretty incredible gross finishing moves on characters and stuff like that. Yeah, but it's Mortal really... Kombat style. Yeah. <laughs> but ultimately, it's not horror, but it's really coming down to that like twisting and changing. And I can see that now, that that's what really differentiates body horror. Absolutely. And I also really like the distinction that it's more about the body's changes, not necessarily the mind. The mind's changes can come about with or because of the body changing. Because, you know, if your body does those things, it's going to affect your mind pretty deeply. (laughs) But whatever's happening isn't like directly controlling your mind. Gotcha. And then, of course, for maximum effect, if you can give this whole experience a slow-paced exploration of these changes, that's when body horror can really shine. I liken it to a like slow carnival ride that you can't get off. Nice. That's pretty perfect. Like you're stuck on this ride and you are through it and there's no getting off. And ultimately you will arrive at the destination. That's unquestionable. Yeah. However, if you don't enjoy it at the beginning and it continues to get worse, like what is going to happen there? That's the uncomfortable question through it all is like, what's going to happen next? Where is this leading? And a really classic horror example of that is a transformation into like a werewolf or something. Mm, Yeah. Like that story is way better if there's things that are happening along the way rather than just a guy whistling and walking down the street and all of a sudden he's a werewolf. (laughs) You know, we've got the werewolf man that is slowly starting to smell different and starting to see different and wanting to hunt things and craving blood and what is happening to all of this to culminate in the werewolf transformation rather than, uh, you know, opening credits, werewolf man. <laughs> like, that's not scary. Oh, no. Werewolf man. <laughs> it's better when you don't hyphenate it. I like that. <laughs> One run on name. And there's one final way that I found really helpful to conceptualize it. And it was again put forward by Ronald Allen Lopez Cruz. And he breaks it down into kind of three categories of body horror. The first is hybrids and offspring. I'm already uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah, me too. And that's what it sounds like when two forms come together that definitely should not. And if you've seen the alien movies, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, some of my favorites. When you really sit down to look through those films, like there are some serious themes of like motherhood and gestation. And like, so you definitely got that offspring side. Yeah. And then you've got the hybrid side because when an alien is born from a human, it's kind of half human, half alien. Yeah. It takes on all of the different properties of whatever birthed it. Yeah. Like the dog alien 
from Alien 3. Yeah. Or Alien 16 or however many. (laughs) There's a lot. (laughs) Then you've got metamorphosis. That's when one form changes into a new form. This is kind of like the fly. Yeah, totally. Where he slowly becomes more and more. That's one of the most classic examples of body horror. And the whole movie is about him turning from a man and metamorphosizing into a terrible fly creature. (laughs) Well, and that also kind of blurs the lines between the third one. Yeah, that's a good point. These are all kind of like, these can all exist in the same story, but they're just ways to kind of think about it when you're creating your own. Yeah. And that third one is mutations. And that's when one form gets physically or behaviorally changed. Yeah, that's kind of like the hills have eyes kind of vibe. Yeah, they were all like mutated into terrible cannibals. Yeah. Yeah. Deeply horrible. Yeah. Yeah. You've got hybrids and offspring, metamorphosis and mutations. So like, so I think that gives us a lot to work with there. Totally. And I think the most important point, and we kind of touched on this earlier too, is just that this is going to be inevitable. And that's the big difference is like in a lot of other horror You've got a psycho killer that's chasing you down and, you know, he's going to stab you. And will this happen? And with body horror, it has happened. Yeah, it's It's currently happening and there's nothing you can do about it. And we're going to see if you can stop it or survive it or whatever the or maybe just be overwhelmed by it. Yeah. But that's a, a really important distinction in that body horror genre. This series of events is marching on. (laughs) Uh, I feel gross just talking about all of this. We've barely, like, yeah, me too. We haven't even talked about anything that gross, but I feel gross. (laughs) Well, it's going to get worse because, like we mentioned, we turned to our Discord community for help with this one because we said we don't have a Halloween horror episode. We better get to work. And we came up with something pretty damn good. And this all started from one of our wonderful Discord community members, Zalgo, who seeded the idea of this horrifying creature that he was using in his campaign. And this started, of course, the wheels a turning when you get a bunch of truly demented people together who have diabolical brains. We all created this awful thing. So we're going to take <laughs> you through it. Well, what's the monster you say? I won't tell you. That's suspense. (laughs) I suppose so. So we wanted to tell the story of, you know, a typical D&D sleepy little town that has truly gone astray. And we wanted to try to touch on a few different aspects of body horror. And I think we got most of them. (laughs) It's, It's pretty gross. So it all starts... With the setup. And we did this by following the steps that we laid out in a supplement that you can find on our website called the Horror Roleplaying Writing Guide. And it follows a couple of very specific steps. So, Jordan, why don't you take us through each one of those steps? So first you have to establish normalcy and give the party a sense of comfort wherever the adventure is starting. And we go through each one of these steps in using psychological, unnatural, and kind of gross-out themes through each one of these phases. So we want to make sure that we establish a comfort psychologically. 
a comfort naturally and a comfort with that gross-out area. So everybody's fine. Look, all limbs are where they should be. <laughs> Check out these digits. <laughs> <laughs> then we want to go to establishing the threat and building a sense of unease. So things just aren't quite right. Then we get into signposts or dread, st- establishing that dread. And this is usually those times when you know the teenagers should have turned around and should have left the house. There were clear signs that something is wrong and it's starting to get creepy. With dread and that previous step unease, you can keep creating tension by swapping between those. Things get a little bit worse and then they back off a bit. Oh, it's getting bad and it backs off. And that really ramps up that tension for impending doom slash terror. And that's where things are on the edge of disaster. Whatever great grand terror you've got at the end of your adventure, this is the almost the literal step before it. They haven't seen the monster, but everything is pointing towards this thing's existence. They know it for sure now. There's a pile of gooey bodies or something like that. That's <laughs> that's real rough. And finally, attack. Which is where you, you do that big reveal. They come face to face with the monster. And the reason you have to do everything that happens before this is because as soon as you reveal the monster, all of the tension is gone and they're just ready for that classic D&D fight at this point. So the buildup is absolutely critical. If you don't do it, This is the same as just dropping a Tarrasque in front of the party. Yeah. So with that being said, let's go back to our adventure and the basic setup for it. All right. Let me just open this door and walk back there. Click, 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 click. (laughs) Do your feet go click, (laughs) click, click, click? My mutated feet do. Ew. All right. So the setup. Basically, we have a town that is beset by thieves and raiders and requests the help of a cleric and their apprentice. The cleric disappears for some time to seek a means to rid the town of their problem, and later the apprentice returns, noting the lack of raiders to the townspeople. They have been saved. The cleric kept their promise. We did it! And while the cleric is never really seen again, the effects live on, and everyone is very prosperous and happy. Well, that's a pretty radical ending. Well, underneath all of this, the minds on our Discord community came up with the idea of a monster that is a wall of flesh. How does this work into a idyllic town, you might ask? In a monstrous kind of way. (laughs) Well, the cleric found a small, gooey bit of flesh in a jar, and this thing is sentient, and it creates teratomas from touching it. Now, if you're wondering what a teratoma is, you shouldn't be. Believe me when I tell you, please, please do not stop before you think about maybe going against their advice. Just don't. Don't Google it. Especially do not Google image search. Anyways, moving on. Uh, A teratoma is actually a real thing. It's a It's basically a tumor where the cells aren't quite sure how they should probably arrange themselves. And they start to influence each other and create small tumors of flesh or hair or, you know, just 
things that shouldn't be there naturally. Yeah. And very often they're actually benign and people get them removed with a, a very small non-invasive surgery. But if you've got a monster that gives these things out, then well, it's a little different. Yeah, then we're growing eyes and mouths where they shouldn't be, which is never, never good. So we got some body horror going on. And the general story here, we want our party to come to this town, see everything is normal. It's got a very like shadow over Innsmouth kind of vibe to it where everyone seemingly happy, but is kind of in on it and they're watching the party. And what's really happening is that this town is going along with feeding people to this wall so that it can grow. And it's just a, a wall of flesh and bodies and limbs. It's disgusting. So in that setup stage where the cleric went off and found a way to get rid of the thieves and raiders, what they really did was found this little ball of flesh, let it affect them. They went a little off the deep end and ate it. <laughs> oh, no. And started to no! turn into a flesh wall by absorbing the thieves and raiders. Stop it. <laughs> it's fine. <sighs> Do you need to... Uh... I need a minute. Okay, so if we're going to take our players through this story, we want to establish normal, chill, awesome. And because we're going to contrast this later, we want our players to have maybe seen the signs. I don't know. Things definitely have to be a little bit off, but on the surface, everything's chill. So we've got our players coming into the town, and now they're getting handshakes Oh, welcome, welcome. Thank you very much for coming. Uh, can we offer you any of our wares? Uh, go see the tavern, go see the inn. But meanwhile, uh, these townspeople that have been deeply affected by these teratomas that are hidden somewhere on their body, this extra eyeball that's growing on their chest, that thing is influencing them to touch and to pass on this communicable teratoma-like infection to everybody so that they can be uh, added to the wall. Yes. Meanwhile, they're bragging about how there's no crime anymore. Yeah. Things look at are this. good. You can feel safe. Yeah. Let's go for a walk downtown. Do you feel safe? I feel great. Right now, as I'm looking <laughs> at you? Ew. <laughs> and then we want to move on to that established threat or unease. And so this is, again, where we just start to hint that maybe something's kind of off. But it could be explained away, you know, could just be coincidence or something like that. So we can do little things like uh, uh, show that maybe all of the animals are kind of gone. And maybe one or two that were found by the hunter are dead, but they've got a couple of strange mutations going on. Yeah. Oh, maybe... Uh... Maybe somebody's got to figure out what's mutating our animals. Shucks, sure wish we knew. That seems like a nasty little thing. Always downplaying as well. Because <laughs> they will they know that you're doing it. Yeah, yeah. As a DM, like they know that it's building, so they're going to be questioning. And just the more you can play into this, the better. So next we have the signposts or dread stage which again, we're giving them some warning signs that things are getting bad. If they continue down this road, it's going to get worse. This is the irrefutable proof. 
And it's the fact the heroes keep going that both makes the horror in the end that much better, but also makes them heroes in the first place. Yeah. Because I know we all joke about the horror movie character just turning around and leaving the house. Why don't why didn't they just run? Get in the car, drive away. Because that's not a story. <laughs> the story ends if that happens. And at least in a role-playing game like this, your characters are gonna have some powers to deal with it, not just be idiots. Oh, they're gonna forge ahead because that's where the story is. Yeah. So in this story, we could have some people in the town maybe breaking that mental influence that the wall has over them, yelling about visions of the end times oh yeah like a wall that wraps around the earth (laughs) it's just consuming everyone before this person kind of just is overcome by the terror that they're experiencing that should be a red flag (laughs) (laughs) that was your sign right there and you could also have the party starting to develop some of those mutations of their own oh especially i would love to do this slipping the players on a piece of paper, what they've grown and where. Oh, so they can hide it from the party if they want to. Yeah, they can role play that up and and have some fun with it. You got a mouth between your toes. (laughs) (laughs) The most impractical place to have a mouth. Feed a little french fries. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, why is that always so disturbing? Okay, so then we move on to the impending doom or terror phase. So this is, again, that height. We should be reaching just before we see the monster. This is scary. Tension is tense. You want to get as dramatic as you can here. And so in the story, there could be some wildly mutated villages and animals that are now making their way towards the location of this community's terrible secret. Like if you were to stand up on a building and look down, you've got things moving to one location. This is bad. That's the part that makes it even worse for me is these townspeople aren't zombies. You know, they're not mindless drones. Yeah. They're people that are being manipulated and are almost obsessed with feeding this wall. They're good people otherwise, but they just can't help themselves. They're compelled. Yeah. And so that, again, plays on that psychological piece of body horror if they were zombies and they were mindless, that'd be one thing. But because they are, they're competent, normal people that are doing this for reasons that nobody can really comprehend. Yeah. It feels much worse to just walk up and try and stab somebody. Yeah. Like, you what can't... are you doing? Exactly. And finally, we come to the attack and horror stage. So revealing the monster, breaking the tension, things are going down now. Yeah. Let them actually see it describe in vivid detail all of the horror and the madness that has created this monstrosity. And we're afraid of yucking ourselves out too much, but you you can imagine what we mean there. Yeah, you can imagine a 40-foot tall wall of congealed and grown together flesh with eyes and limbs and all like you fill in more details because that's about as deep as i'm going yeah this is where the party is going to kind of follow those streams of people and animals and it's like just imagine it's going to get so tense as they're rounding corner after corner and they're feeling more drawn to it too because they've got the teratomas they can feel that thing pulsing inside them telling them 
get into that wall. You want to be a part of that wall. And they finally come around that final corner and it's time to throw down. Yeah. What are you going to do? You're going to stop the villagers from going into the wall? Are you going to stop or are you going to attack the wall and try to destroy it? But what if there's a way to get the people back out? What are you going to do? I don't know. I'm laying down. (laughs) He gave up. (laughs) So that's the beats of our adventure. And it really wasn't that hard to create with inserting them into the right steps. So check out that resource on our webpage. You'll find it under the resources section at hookandchance.com. And we have the horror guide, which will lead you through all the steps of writing your own. But we've also filled out this horror matrix for you so that you can steal any of these beats. If you feel like running this, uh, you know, just before the wonderful 30th of this October month rolls around and you want to do some horror stuff, you can just insert it right there. I think the team on our Discord server has done a lot of the heavy lifting for you. We've created all the story beats so you can take it, manipulate it, you know, massage it into something that means something to your players and give her. Do what you want with it. We've created a monster. <laughs> <laughs> Let's finish this episode by going to Lamashtu's breeding pit and getting into what that wall of flesh can actually do. Ugh, gross. This is Lamashtu's breeding pit where the most vile and deadly of creatures are birthed and unleashed upon doomed adventurers. Alrighty, so the Flesh Wall is a large aberration. This one was a really interesting monster to build because trying to pin down this bastard's challenge rating (laughs) was quite an endeavor. There's not a lot of walls in the monster manual. (laughs) We really kind of hit this interesting balance of it not being particularly hardy, but having a lot of hit points. It doesn't hit particularly hard, but it has a couple of of abilities that are near deadly under the right circumstances. They just keep pulling you in. Yeah. This thing I don't think is going to be your traditional monster. And what I noticed when we were building it was that it's almost like a puzzle. Like it's a puzzle combat because how do you hit this thing and stay far enough away that it doesn't drag you in and doesn't kill you? So let's uh, let's get into some of the finer points. Well, to cover some of the basics before we get into the abilities, we thought it would be interesting if it was vulnerable to not much, but radiant damage because it is that aberration it's kind of contrary to those uh, forces of goodness. <laughs> yeah, and this is because this thing is so horrendous. This is where, you know, your goodly folks that can cast radiant damage are really going to shine. Yeah, they pack a little more of a wallop than other characters are going to against this terrible foe. But since not every party has somebody that's going to be casting radiant damage all over the place, then we have some immunities from those that can cast some pretty powerful magics. So, I mean, it's a wall. It's not going to be vulnerable to being charmed or exhausted or frightened or grappled or (laughs) a lot of things don't affect this thing because it's a physical wall. Yeah. Can't be restrained, can't be knocked prone. So let's get into some of its abilities. First, we've got the stench. 
That's the first thing you'll notice when you come around that corner. Well, it's a whole bunch of bodies just melding and morphing together. I can't imagine that's going to smell great. I mean, the B.O. alone. Yeah. <laughs> gross. But the least gross. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, if a character fails a constitution saving throw and they get close enough to this thing, they're going to spend their turn retching and reeling all over the place. They're throwing up. Makes sense. And then we have the actual Teratoma ability, uh, which feels weird calling that an ability. But basically, any creature that touches the flesh wall or has in the past touched anybody who has touched the flesh wall with the Teratoma condition, they must make a constitution saving throw. And if they don't make that saving throw, they grow one of those teratomas. But that teratoma actually has a function within this combat. Those that are affected by this teratoma and start their turn within 120 feet of the flesh wall have to make a wisdom saving throw. And if they fail it, they move half their speed towards the flesh wall and they can't move away from it on their turn. And so what this is going to do is this is that function of the flesh wall speaking in the back of their mind, saying, you must come be one with me. Uh, come closer. <laughs> and functionally, they won't be able to start moving away from the wall, and they're going to be slowly reeled in by it. And on a success, you might be thinking, oh, I'll just run as far away as I can. Well, sure, but on a success, you still move half your speed closer to this thing. If you've got that teratoma, it's drawing you in at half your speed every turn, no matter what you do. So this is really becoming more of a speed game. Can we kill this wall before we all get roped into it? And it calls back to that body horror kind of theme of like, it's happening. What can you do while it's happening? Yeah. Rather than will it happen or not? The party members can be helping each other out. Maybe the barbarian can be like trying to lasso the wizard that's getting closer <laughs> and pulling them back. <laughs> Not yet. So then we come to the actions. With those actions, we've got things like uh, a bite attack because it's covered in mouths. Yeah. So obviously, ugh. it's nasty. You can have some fun describing that one, but it is, you know, not a, nothing too fancy with that bite. Then, of course, it's going to claw at people with all of the arms and appendages that are sticking off this thing. Which are going to be unnaturally long, Ugh. which adds to the body horror. Gross. Maybe an extra elbow or two in there, so it's got a reach of 10 feet. Ew! <laughs> and with those disgusting arms, it is going to be great at grappling people. And so it can grab and grapple and pull it closer to the wall. And it can do that up to three characters at a time. So we got some serious problems if we're in this party. Because it only gets worse from there. It can then absorb. So the flesh wall is going to absorb a creature that is already grappled by it, which, you know, gives it all of the qualities that a swallowed creature usually has, like it's blinded and restrained. And of course, it's going to take some acid damage at the start of each of its turns that it's in that flesh wall. And to make matters worse, in true form, since this wall is trying to grow, taking all the villagers and things around it as well, is that it's actually healing the wall. So any damage done to the character well inside is actually healing by the same amount. That is rough. Don't get in that flesh wall. But of course, one of the main challenges of doing this, and this was very astutely pointed out when we were creating this, was 
that the giant toad has a swallow ability and it has that without any ability to get out because it has really low HP. Like your party's gonna take it down pretty fast. Somebody gets swallowed, it's now just up to the party to do as much damage as possible to get you out. However, bigger creatures with lots of hit points, that's going to make getting that person out before they're dead impossible. So we had to build a mechanism into this ability that when this wall is damaged, it's a fleshy wall. So my flesh doesn't particularly love fire <laughs> and neither does this thing. So it will actually spit a creature out if the players hit it with some kind of fire attack. And uh, that's kind of an homage, I think, to some of those classic body horror movies. Like they always attack it with fire and it squeals in a disgusting agony. You got to feel like Ripley at the end of <laughs> Aliens where she's just got the flamethrower and she's torching that queen's nest. Yeah. And so that's all pretty rough. And just to top it off, to give it one more thing to spew at you, it's got bile and blood. <laughs> which is a, a viscous bloody ichor that it can spew in a 15-foot line that if you're the target of it, you got to make a dexterity saving throw or take some damage. And if you don't have a teratoma yet, you do now. Dang. Dang, I thought I was getting away on this one. So, you know, you're sitting there just out of reach of its arms. You're doing your thing, and then it fires that at you. <laughs> absolutely disgusting. So this creature is available on our website under those resources again. Uh, it's called the Flesh Wall. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. And in that document, you will find, uh, you know, a full monster manual style uh, page and description of this creature, including the entire stat block so that you can run it against your party. And then, of course, we've got those sample story beats so that you don't have to put that all together. Hopefully that'll speed up your prep for the Halloween game that's coming up uh, sometime next week, I would assume. Yeah, you're going to rock it. Well, we're excited for you. Let us know if you do run this creature, how it fares. Uh, did your party kill it in a couple of hits or, or were they thoroughly grossed out? And please tell us about your Halloween adventures, whatever form that might take, because they don't all have to be flesh walls. I'll admit it. <laughs> <laughs> and you can convey all of that stuff by following us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. And if you want to be a part of the community that makes this nasty stuff and other less nasty stuff, <laughs> you can join us on our Discord. Thanks to Zalgo. Thanks to Scotty Doesn't Know. Thanks to Leprechaun and Will HP for all of your help in creation of this creature. It's absolutely disgusting, and we love you guys as much as we love this monster. Thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects that you heard in this episode. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. And, and don't fear the wall. It calls to us all. 